Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 22. If you don't have a Bible, uh, those will be passed out here in a second. So you'll want to be in Luke chapter 22. Uh, if, you do, if you didn't bring a Bible or you don't have one, uh, Josh and the boys here, just kind of give them the thumbs up, point at them, shaka, whatever you want to give them. That works like that, yeah. The girl will wave, you could do that too, and that'll get you a Bible. And then if you don't have one, please take this one and make it yours, and then you can bring it every Sunday, you can mark it up. Uh, it's not bad, by the way, you know, you can write in it as long as you're using it. Um, so we're going through a series called The Beautiful... The good and beautiful community, which means, like, what is the church? What are, who are we as people? What is that supposed to look like? And I had a situation that happened this week. We're talking this morning about being the serving community. Like, the good and beautiful community needs to be the type of community where you serve. And so this week, I had something really cool happen. Um, I had a friend from college. In fact, uh, Gary, is Gary here? No, good. So, um... <laughs> So I had this I had this nightmare of like, if he walks in, I share this, it's all true, but I don't want to hurt his feelings. But he's a good friend, and, but we were good friends in college, and then he left the college I was at, and he um, took over his father's business. And when we were in college, he had a faith, like a genuine faith, an intellectual, emotional, mental, um, he had a relationship with the living God. And... Um, then I saw him afterwards. He'd left and, and taken over the business, and his whole life is really building up this business. And it's really successful. It was successful before he grabbed it, and I think he's made it successful since. And so he happens to live in the area, and so we got to hang out. Every once in a while, I'd see him in the water surfing, and I'd say, so how's your faith? He's like, you know what, man? I just don't believe anymore. And I was like, really? How'd that happen? And he, as he was explaining it, it just didn't quite make sense to me. Like, I'm like, it doesn't sound like you don't. It's like you've made a decision to focus on something else. I didn't say that because he wasn't asking my opinion. And then I saw him uh, this week at Rivy, which is the place where uh, we go and surf sometimes. So I'm showing up, and he's leaving. And, of course, we've gotten older, so we don't recognize each other, which is always kind of a big letdown when you look at each other and you don't recognize each other because you're older. And I was like, Gary, oh, yeah. And um, so we, we caught up, and he goes, hey, man, I'm – I met one of your friends. I'm like, really? Yeah, I ran into him at Shoreline. I was like, what? You going to church? And I, I couldn't go too big on that, right? Because then it's all awkward and freaky for him. So I said, oh, that's huge, man. Like, why? And he said, you know what? They're doing all this stuff in the community. They're serving. They're doing. He goes, I just want to be a part of that. I want my kids to be a part of that. I want my wife to be a part of that. Like, I'm all in. Didn't say one thing about Jesus. But he wants to be a part of that because they're serving. You know what? That's what happens. God, it's in his DNA. And he didn't say damn faith. He's the type of guy that's so straight up, he would not go if he didn't have an inkling of faith. That's just how he is. He's like, nope, I'm not going to go. That's kind of what he told me a while ago. But you can see it like thawing as he's stepping back. And he sees these people all around him that are doing stuff for their neighbors. And they're, they're doing official, like, well-known projects. And then they're doing this, 
the things that nobody hears about that aren't publicized, but individuals are serving their neighbor or they're caring for the poor. And he sees this and he's drawn to it. Nobody has to tell us that sharing is a good idea. We may not want to do it, but in our hearts, we just know that's the way it's supposed to be, right? Like we know it. Like if someone ever told you as an adult, you know what, you really should probably look out for someone else. You're not going to go, no, that's a dumb idea. Like nobody says that because it's hardwired into us. And my friend Gary recognizes that. And as a church, when we live that out as individuals, when we live out how God created us to be, our actual design, then it starts to make sense. And it starts to make sense to a friend of mine like Gary who sees this and it's what's brought him back into the community. Awesome. We need to have more churches like Shoreline. We need to have more churches that are doing what they're doing and we need to cheer each other on and encourage each other because that's what we're designed to do. And what we're going to look at today is what Jesus says because he's trying to get this across to his disciples. He's trying to tell them, look, you're here to serve. You guys get that, right? Like you're here to serve. And um, I want to show this, uh, this verse. So if you have your Bible, Luke 22. And we're going to look at verse 27 to start. And then we'll go back. So Jesus says this to his disciples, his students, his Talmudim, the people that are surrounding him. And they, they say, look, we know that you're the son of God. And we want to grow up. They're adults, but we want to grow up to be like you. That's what it means to be a student. Like you want to take on the very nature of your teacher. I know that sounds weird to those of you who are in elementary and middle school and high school. You're like, no, I was a student, but I don't want to be anything like my teacher. In this setting, when you have a rabbi, that's the decision you're making. You want to be like that rabbi. And so when he sits to teach them, he's teaching them with the understanding that they want to be like him. And so he says this to them in verse 27. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Now, before you move on in that, like, who is the greater person? The person that walks into the five-star restaurant and sits down and gets to order the food or the person that brings it out? Like, if we were to answer this, Honestly, we go, well, obviously the one with all the money that just came in, he's greater because the other person's serving him. And then Jesus says this, is it not the one who is at the table? So he says the obvious, like, okay, we all get it, right? The one that's actually in charge, the master, so to speak, is the one that's greater. But then he says this, but I am among you as one who serves. And he made this obvious. He made it so obvious. I want to show you some other scriptures. This is something that's not new to you, but I, I want you to see these three scriptures that we have here. I'm not sure if it's the next slide or a couple down. But he's, he's trying to communicate to them who he is. He says this in Mark 10, 45. He says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And what does that look like? He gave his life as a ransom for many. John 15, 13, this is what John says. Um, as he's uh, translating uh, what Jesus said. Jesus said this, no one has greater love than this than one lays down his life for his friends. And then John, I mean uh, Paul, when he's talking to the church in Philippi, says one of my, it's one of my favorite passages. He's, and I, I chose a translation I thought talked uh, really clearly. Right before verse 7, he says, 
have the same attitude in you which was in Christ. And then he goes on to say this. Instead of this, of his own free will, he gave up all he had and took the nature of a servant. He became like a human being and appeared in human likeness. It was obvious. Everybody saw it. But yet, we need to remember that Jesus expects us as Christians, the word Christian was given to us by people who weren't Christians. They said they're like little Christs. That's what Christian means, little Christs. They're like Christ. He became like a human being and appeared in human likeness. And he expects us to look like him. And so as he's trying to describe this, he takes a very special moment. We call it communion, but they didn't call it communion back then. They called it Passover. And he used the Passover meal to try to communicate to them. This is what it's supposed to be like. But for us to understand the serving community, to understand Jesus, and to understand how he turns everything upside down, we need to understand the context of how this is all going down right here. I'll, give you, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know. So we all know about the Last Supper, right? If you don't know about the Last Supper, you've seen the painting, right? There's Jesus like this, and everybody's facing him, which is not how it really was, by the way. But... He's standing there, and they're all there, and they're having a meal. And it looks like they're just having a dinner. It's not just a dinner. This is a big deal. This is a meal they have every year at a certain day, at a certain time, because, because God told them to. What happened was, and you know the story, the people of Israel were um, slaves, like slaves, not choosing to work at the restaurant. No, they were slaves. For 400 years, an entire nation of people in Egypt, and they were enslaved. And then God said, it's time for you to be free. You're my people. You need to be set free. And so, as we know, uh, he came and he, he sent Moses and warned Pharaoh, release them, or there's going to be plagues. And there were all kinds of plagues. There were frogs. There was blood in the water. There, was, there were locusts. It was, it was a mess. And then he gives the final plague. The final judgment. Look, release my people. Or what's going to happen is the angel of death is going to come over all of Egypt. And the firstborn of every house will die. And he tells the people of Israel, what you need to do is this. You need to take a lamb. And this was traditional for them. But you need to take a lamb and you need to eat it. Just like you normally would. Um, but you need to take the blood from that lamb and you need to put it on the doorposts. And when the angel comes by and sees the blood on those doorposts, it will pass over your house. Now that seems very freaky to us. We've talked about this before. We're not going to give a big discussion this morning on um, sacrifices because it is very foreign to us. But the key that we need to understand here is that there had to be a substitute. There either had to be a dead son or a dead lamb. God's justice came down. I don't understand how it worked. It's not punishment. It's just the way things are supposed to work. When, when you're going to love, there has to be a cost involved. And the cost was let it be this lamb, this substitutionary lamb. That's why Jesus is called the Lamb of God. And this substitutionary lamb was to take the place. And the reality is, this isn't that foreign to us. 
Because when you think about it, when you're going to love somebody, when you see someone that's in a bad place, maybe they're in a bad financial situation, maybe they're in a bad emotional situation, maybe they're in a bad physical situation, and if you make the decision to be involved in that person's life, and you hesitate, because you know that when you step in, you're going to have to absorb some of their pain. You're going to have to bear that weight. And there's going to be energy that leaves your body. There's going to be stuff that leaves your life. In certain situations, it might be financial. When you see someone in a financial need and you step towards them, you're like, all right, I'm stepping in knowing that I'm going to have to help out financially. And that means money is going to leave, resources are going to leave our house and are going to go here. Or it may be someone that's emotionally broken. And you're in a great mood. You're not going to be in a great mood anymore. And some of your great moodness is going to, to encourage them and support them. And yet you're going to have to absorb some of their sadness. Um, that's what it looks like. So this isn't really that foreign to us. And so because of this moment where they were freed, and we know that they walked across and the water parted. And, but the important part is they were set free. And so God said, look, do this. Have this tradition. Have this meal all the time so that the generations, let the children know. Remind the children. So this is like one of those meals where all the kids, the fa- remind them that God set you free. So this is like their tradition. This is like, this is like Easter. This is Christmas. You know how you never know which one's bigger? Take those together. Imagine that we just decided to put Christmas and Easter together. This is that. This is how important it is to the Jewish people to have the Passover meal. And so when you see Jesus in the painting, and then you see everybody on the side looking at him, this is that meal. So imagine Thanksgiving dinner multiplied by 100. This is that meal. And they, the, the Jewish people, because it was so important, they just started adding traditions. So when you have this meal, there's songs. We do it. It's the Seder. We do it every other year here at Branches. We have the Seder meal together during Easter so that we know the symbolism behind it. And so there's songs, there's poems that are read. The kids are given like little quizzes. They have them run around the house and look for things. It's like there's traditions, right? And you better not mess with the traditions because they're the traditions. You know what I'm talking about? Like imagine in your house that if you went to whoever's in charge and said, you know what, I've been thinking about it. No more Christmas tree this year. I've really been thinking about it. What I want to have is a nice bowl in the middle of the room, and we all just drop papers in it instead of presents. Wouldn't that be awesome? And you're going, no, that's stupid. I'm not doing that. We're bringing the Christmas tree in. Is the Christmas tree important? I don't even know where the tradition really came from. Everybody argues about it, but it's important, right? Like, it's the tradition. we got to keep it so you don't mess with the tradition. I dare you not to have eggs for your kids on Easter. None of us know where that bad boy came from, but it's a tradition and it's got to stand there. So you have Jesus having this meal. And he gets to the part where he has the bread and there's a tradition. The leader of the Passover is supposed to say this, supposed to take the bread and say, this is the bread of suffering that our fathers ate in the wilderness. Like that's the tradition. Everybody can repeat it. They've heard it for centuries. They've heard it through generations of their family. And here's Jesus and he has this. And as he breaks the bread, he doesn't say that. He breaks the tradition, and he looks at them, and he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. What? 
did you just do that? You did not just mess with 400 years of tradition right now, did you? Like, this is the Passover meal. You're trying to not bring in the Christmas tree. You're trying to not do the eggs. In fact, you're putting yourself, but they believe he's the son of God, and they're giving him permission to do that. And you need to remember the symbolism of the Passover and what it all represented. And he's saying, you had the substitutionary lamb. You had the blood on the doorpost. And you celebrate that God freed you. You need to understand that from now on, do this in remembrance of me. You're not doing it in remembrance anymore of what happened in Egypt. You are really set free now. You could be imprisoned and you're free. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. You are free. This is my body, which is broken for you. He doesn't say will be broken. He said it is broken. This is the night that he was betrayed. This is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat. And then there was another tradition where they have the the cup. And he breaks that tradition as well. And he says, this is my blood of the covenant. The word covenant doesn't mean much to us now because we don't throw that word around. But it's another way to say contract. And so he's saying, this is my blood, which will fulfill what needs to happen, the substitutionary death. The, the law of life is when you see someone in need, if you're going to help them, it's going to cost. It's just the contract of life. It's the way it works. And he's saying, that's going to be me. This is my blood that will fulfill what needs to happen. And it's poured out for many. Take and drink. And this is powerful stuff we're talking about here. When we talk about being the serving community, he's sitting here with his disciples at this meal trying to get it across them because it's not really getting across. In fact, just before this, uh, in a timeline, chronologically, in John 12, 24, Jesus says this. He's hanging out with his disciples and he says, the son of man is going to be betrayed and he's going to die. And then three days later, he's going to rise again. And Peter says, no, this can't happen. No, 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 no. And then Jesus says this. He says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself alone. This is another way to say, look, this is the way it's supposed to be. I'm a grain of wheat. You're a grain of wheat. We're supposed to die. Otherwise, we're alone. But if the seed dies, then it will bear much fruit. That's how he's trying to explain to them. But we're all hard-headed. It doesn't sink in. And so here it is. He's got his final opportunity, and he moves communion. He's kind of laying it out. Now, typically when we take communion, uh, for the most part, we take it once a month. Um, Typically, we even do it later in this gathering. But I wanted us to stop right now in the middle of the message and take communion. Because as we talk about this, it starts to make sense. We start to realize what God has done. I want to invite the worship team up. And those that are serving communion, there'll be, communion, there'll be a, a group in back and a group up here. But I want you to think about this. I want you to think, well, this is how Paul says it. In 1 Corinthians 11, he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Now, when, what does that mean to proclaim the Lord's death? It means to remember that you're set free, to remember who set you free. And to give him honor and to pause and just soak that up. Because we don't believe it. But do this. Do this to proclaim the Lord's death. And the reason we proclaim the Lord's death is because his death was totally different 
from any other deck. It was a substitutionary deck. And so um, they're going to play Amazing Grace. And at any time that you want to during the song, um, I want you to go and, and grab the bread and you'll dip it. And I want you to remember those words. I also want you to remember the tradition that this came from. This is not just, hey, I got this idea. Let's have a meal, and I'm going to break some bread. And I'm gonna have no, this is part of a larger tradition. And now that you know a little bit more of that, I want you to let that sink in. So use this as a time of prayer. Um, and they're going to be praying over you. I don't know if you know this. But those that are serving communion, when you come, they see your eyes. I want you to know what they're doing. They're praying for you. They may not even know you, but they're praying for you. So let me pray for all of us, and then... Um, Come, take, and eat. Father, this is more beautiful than we can understand. But yet we pause and we take this communion because you came and lived and died and rose again. Lord, your love is beyond our comprehension. And sometimes we don't feel set free but we proclaim that we are set free because of your death. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Come and take.
finish this moment. I want us to finish this moment that Jesus is having with his disciples. This moment where he's going to, he's trying to explain to them how it's supposed to be. He talks about what he's going to do and how it fits in the larger plan. And I want to make sure that we hear it. Usually I'll tell the story and have the scripture behind me or you have it with you, but I want to make sure that we understand the context and the flow of how this dinner goes. So in the same way, verse 20, he says this, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. If the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table, the son of man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. And they began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. And then verse 24, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greater. Let that sink in for a second here. And that's one of the reasons that we took communion now. Can you imagine now in the time that you've paused and thought about what Christ has done, that you then look around and go, I'm pretty sure I'm better than that guy. I'm, I'm above that girl. For sure, her. Him? No. I'm, I th they actually got in a verbal argument. That's the word, dispute. Sounds no, so nice. It's an argument. They're sitting there at the Last Supper. If they're not even remembering Passover, Jesus is talking about what, this is my body which is going to be broken for you. And then they go off on this little sidetrack and get in an argument and compete to see who's greater. And the crazy thing is, is that's not that weird when you think about it because we do it all the time. We get... 
We can have these moments on Sunday mornings or moments in home groups or moments in the morning when we're with the Lord or moments during the middle of the day or we see some beauty of God's grace. And then the next minute, we're just lost again and completely back to normal, so to speak. Because this is what we do. On the cross, and I wrote this down because I didn't want to mess it up. On the cross, Jesus did on a cosmic level what you and I have to do every day if we're going to love people. And Jesus said that he wants us to remember his death by taking the Lord's Supper. We are going to always drift in and out of our nature and what God has called us to. And these guys, who the reason we're even here today is because of these guys sitting around this table arguing with each other. They're normal people. We're going to do this and this is normal, but I wanted us to have that juxtaposition. That's your $5 word for today. A juxtaposition is, is when you take two opposite things and put them next to each other. And they just, you're like, whoa. You see how different they are because they're next to each other. It's like if my wife was here, it would be the beauty and the beast. You just get to see the difference, you know. It's like someone really old with a baby. It's like, oh, you're older and you're younger because they're next to each other. And when you see this moment of Jesus explaining and trying, and they have this hundreds of, year, hundreds of years of tradition of the Passover, how much God loved them to set them free. And then Jesus says, now you understand that that's what I'm doing for you. And then their response is, yeah, let's fight and see who's better. But you know what? That's normal for us because I don't know what the deal is with us as human beings, but we do this and we teach our kids to do this from a young age. And that's not who we are. Who we are is we are a people who are supposed to individually and corporately, we exist. We are here on this earth to serve and to die, just like our founder, the founder being Jesus. Jesus founded the church. He, he, he is the alpha and the omega of the world. He's the, author and found, he's the author and perfecter of faith. The world was created through him. We were designed to be like our creator, which is to serve and then to die. And it's beautiful. That's what we were created for, and yet we live in this opposite world where we compete and we strive and we don't try to take on other people's things, but we really want to be the one that walks into the room and everybody goes, hey, we want to be that person. It's in there, and we strive for it, and we do things in different ways to make that happen. And it can take us away from who we really are. I believe that's what happened to my buddy Gary. I believe that's what happened to my buddy Kelly. Kelly guy, not Kelly girl. I, it's one of those situations where you could see them, they're striving to get more, and it's just not how God designed us. But we train our kids from that from a very young age. I was sitting in a, um, in a batting cage with my, uh, one of my sons and pitching to him, and he's, he's struggling hitting the ball. So he's in a slump, and uh, he's a really good hitter, but he's slumping. And we're sitting in there, and I can see him, he's gripping, and you could see him, it's like he's on the verge of crying. And so, you know, we put the ball down, and, and we, it's like a baseball cage, and so we go and sit down where the home plate is supposed to be. I'm like, dude, what's going on? And he's like, nothing, nothing. He's like trying to push through it. And I'm like, dude, just let it out, man. Like, you're stressed out. Just cry. And he just starts bawling. I'm like, okay, I guess batting practice is over. And I ask him what's going on, but I know what's going on because... 
I say, well, tell me then, what's happening inside? He goes, I don't really know. Maybe well, let's just sit here until we figure it out. And he's, he's brilliant. He's so in touch with who he is. He goes, well, I want to do good. Because when I do good, everybody wants to talk to me and hang out with me. But when I don't, I feel alone. And I feel so weak. And I go, son, I'd like to tell you that's not the way it works in this world, but unfortunately, yeah, it happens too often. I said, give me an example. He goes, well, like when we were at that surf contest and that one kid, you know, the kid, he's really a, he's a solo guy. I don't know what that meant, but I think it meant he, he does things by himself a lot. He's a loner. And remember how he came out of the water, he had that really good heat, and everybody wanted to hang out with him. And he goes, I came out of the water, and I didn't have a good heat, and I just kind of felt alone. And I said, yeah. I said, am I really going to coach him through this? How do you do that? I said, yeah, that's the way the world does it. But you know what? That's, that attention, that applause, it's, it's brief. It comes and it goes. That's not the kind of stuff. We need to aim to try to please the Lord and not people. We're here to serve people, not to try to get them to serve us. We're not trying to do great things because they'll think we're fantastic. We don't want to try to look really good or work out a lot or get a lot of money or get that nice house or whatever it is that we think is going to get people to like us because it's just going to pass. You can never really get their approval. You need to understand that we're here to serve. That's why God put us on this earth. And when you do that, there's something beautiful that happens inside of you. And then I told him, hey, you know all your friends? They feel the exact same way. And he looked at me like really surprised. Really? I go, yeah. I said, okay, that makes me feel a lot better. <laughs> and I said, so your job on this team is not to get all the hits. Do your best. You want to work hard, but we have you playing these sports so that you can learn about yourself and learn about other people. It's not about getting people's attention or being good at it. We want you to learn how to work hard and how to be a great teammate. You're on this team to give your best for your team, and you're here to serve them. I said, I feel a lot better now. I said, why? He goes, well, because I know other people are going through this. <laughs> so he didn't quite get it all yet, but that's okay. But the point is, is that's what we're designed for. And when we do that, when we live like Christ called us to, we're here to serve and then die. It's not a bad thing. It sounds tough. All right, I'm here to serve and to die. No, it feels so dang good. One of my other kids did these little uh, uh, lemonade stands and made some stuff and sold it to people for ungodly amount of money that it wasn't worth to raise money for IHOPE to care for um, people in the street. He, I don't think he quite got it. He just sounded like a cool thing. And he sees how we like love it when they do that. So I think they kind of did it. He did it for our approval or other people's approval. Oh, way to go. You're such a great kid. Yes, I am. I don't know if he really did it for the real reason. But then um, Tina at IHOPE Pulled him aside and said, look, I want you to know that that, what was $12, that $12 or $20 that you raised bought 10 bus passes for this person. Helped this person get transportation to get his interview. It helped this person get, uh, I can't, diapers or something. She shared all the things it did, and you saw it just change in his head. And he's like, whoa. Like there was joy because he realized, hey, look, as I served, as I gave away something that belonged to me to give to someone else in need, like, this is way better than keeping it. Like you could see it on his face. He was already planning the next stuff he was going to do. And he went around telling everybody, not because he wanted them to reward him, but because he really felt joy from doing it. Two weeks ago as a church, um, we talked about the persecuted church and the church that, um, that we are, are trying to get behind in Pakistan and uh, 
the bombing that happened and the many that are in the hospital. And it was obvious to us as a leadership team that we needed to bring that to you that Sunday to say, would you please, this whole offering, we're going to give it to them. It was twice as much as the normal offering that we get. And you need to understand something. We don't tell you guys this too often. We tell you when it gets, gets really bad. But the church finances are not fantastic. But here's the deal. With joy, we were excited to do it. I was so proud of our leadership team because I asked them, I said, I think we need to do this. And they, um, they, it wasn't even like a question. They're like, let's do this thing. Unanimous. And it's with joy. I tell you that this morning because we're excited about that. Because think about it at any time in your life where you've ever given something away and you've regretted it. Think about it. When you've, out of trueness of heart, generously given it to someone that you knew was in need. I can think of one time where I gave something away and I regret it to this day because I knew they didn't really need it and they didn't really appreciate it. But think about when you give generously to someone that you know is in need. When you're setting things right, when you're following your true nature. Like millions of, all the money you've given away, all the, hey, I really like that shirt. Oh, here, you can have that shirt. You know what? We need to give the car to that family. You never miss it. Because it's really not that important, but there's that joy that comes from you because that's how God has designed us, to be generous. That's who we're supposed to be with our lives, with our jobs, with our family, with our kids, with our spouses. If you're like, my marriage sucks right now. Sorry for using that word. But if you're saying that or you're feeling that, my relationship or my family, you know what? You're not designed to get anything. You know what? Just flip everything upside down like Jesus called us to and just go, okay, how am I going to serve that person today? What am I going to do for them today? Because that's what you were designed for. And it may not be reciprocated. You don't do it going, okay, i got to fix this situation, so I'll be the first one to give, and then they're going to give back, and everything will be set right. No, that's not how it works. Sometimes you're going to give, you're going to serve and die, and it's not going to come back. But you don't do it to get something back. You do it because that's what you were designed to do. That's what you were designed to be. That's what God is calling us to. We, as the community, the body of Christ, that's what we're called to. And I want to close with this verse. Because this is the verse that we started with. Uh, Luke 2.27. Jesus said this, For who is greatest, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. That's who we are. The greatest are those who serve. And I'll close with this very last thing while the worship team's coming up. Martin Luther King said this. He said, anybody can be great. Anybody can be great because anybody can serve. That's who we are. That's who we were made to be. So during this uh, final song, can you please stand? And as we sing, and you're thinking of who it is that you need to serve, who it is you need to turn the relationship upside down with, I want you to think of Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he willingly humbled himself. And he took on the nature of a human being and was obedient to God, even obedient unto death. So with this final song, um, just to lead us.
All right, guys, during this last song, we're going to do the offering too. I'll, let, I'll, I'll pray for it. <laughs> Lord, um, I ask you to bless the offering, and thank you for the way you spoke to us today. And I ask that you just open our, open our eyes to um, ways that we can serve and trust that uh, no matter how it feels or may, how it may appear, that it's the right thing to do and that uh, it pleases you. I ask that you would bless the offering, that we would have wisdom to use it <coughs> in places that you desire for us to use it. Pray for our team in Cam- Cambodia right now. I ask that you would watch over them, keep them safe, and uh, do a good work through them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, the last song we're going to do is Beautiful.
to let everyone know that we do have um, prayer after um, service. So if you need prayer for healing or for anyone in your family or anything at all, um, you can meet um, right out here in the courtyard under this awning and um, we'll have some people there to pray with you. So take advantage of that if you um, are feeling led to. And then other than that, we can always use help cleaning up. So if you're going to pick up your kids in the back, Help them clean up back there, and um, anyone left out here can help us here, too. Thanks. Kicks. <laughs> 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 you can hit across the 